Let's hear it with the sauce. Incoming transmission. Engage house party protocol. Mark 4, powering up. Mark 17, powering up. Mark 44, powering up. All suits are online. Welcome to house party protocol. Power up suits and welcome into another episode of House Party Protocol. My name is Will, and with me today are two friends from way up north, at least way up north to me, maybe not to you out there listening. It's the one and only Leland from the Aegis Brand Studios. What's happening, man? Not much, not much. What's up? All chilling, chilling. And his P-I-C, and for those of you that might not know, that's partner in crime. That's Troop. What's up, man? Oh, not much. Happy to be here today to talk about some cool things. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Glad to get you on. And uh, for those of you that uh, might not know, uh, Leland has a YouTube channel. It's Aegis Brand Studios. Check out the link in the description. I'll make sure to put one in there for you. And he has a battle buddy, partner in crime I don't know how you would describe yourself, Troop, but uh, you guys definitely uh, like to ram plastic models into each other, metaphorically speaking, obviously, <laughs> quite regularly, and it's always an enjoyable experience. But uh, tell the suits out there a little bit about yourself. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I rumble in Canada. I play a lot of different games, uh, move a lot of different kinds of plastic, and I, I love gaming. And so, uh, unfortunately, I ended up with this this Leland character, and so I don't know if my name's been besmirched, but uh, I do truly uh, appreciate our game, so we keep going. There you go, there you go. Thinking you're the worst kind of famous. Internet famous. <laughs> Internet famous. It's it's the worst kind, but also the best kind. It's So I'm told, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a jam-packed show today, so I am going to waste not a moment and... We're going to be talking about the brand new, recently revealed Logan the Wolverine, or I've been trying to think. So we have Violent Steve as like Steve 2.0 or whatever you want to call it, right? So it's like Violent Steve, like that's kind of his name, right? And so I feel like we've got to come up with one for Wolverine here. And like just calling him Logan just doesn't sound as fun. And like Cowboy Hat Wolverine... That doesn't have a nice ring to it. So I was thinking maybe Violent Wolverine or Wild Wolverine. What do you think, Leland? I, I mean, the Wild Wolverine has the the nice alliteration going for it, right? I you mean, know, it kind of rolls off the tongue. Always a crowd pleaser. <laughs> Troop, what do you think? Uh, well, unfortunately, I can't agree with Wild Wolverine only because that's the only thing the other Wolverine does that's really great. So... <laughs> Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on Wild Wolverine. I like I like Violent Wolverine personally. All right, cool. Yeah, I like it. And you're you know you're right because he is the best at what he do what he does. No, <laughs> he's the best at what he does, and that apparently is only rolling wilds, but definitely not when you need them. Never. Yeah. I don't so, think I've ever seen a wild. Yeah, exactly. It's a uh, it's it's a little it makes me a little sad when I use that superpower. I would say. But I digress. So 
as usual, Suits, we'll take a look at this model uh, first things first here. And we don't really have like a good 3D picture of it, which I don't know if you guys noticed. They haven't been putting up the new models in the gallery lately. Have y'all noticed that? I haven't really. I don't really check out the gallery all that often, to be honest. So Only I have not come on here. that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit sad for me because it's one of those things where I really liked the like the prestige pictures that they would do of all their models and stuff. And for this Wolverine here, we don't really have one of those like really prestigious, you know, 3D spin pictures or whatever. And it makes me kind of sad. But we can. It's probably coming down the road. Like, we might see it in a week or two. Uh, you know, I would have thought the same thing, but we've been having the Sentinels for a couple of weeks, or like a week now, I guess. And oh, oh, really? They're not even up. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's crazy. So, we'll go to the panel to play, which they just released. And there's a, a nice little picture, and they did, like, some some snow. Looks like snow coming down, which looks kind of nice, I gotta say. But that's about the only picture we have. And... I, I like this model. Like it's, I would have preferred to have another suited Wolverine, but Logan in the comics definitely hangs out outside of his classic suit a lot, and and I definitely like this. Now the only thing I can't tell is whether or not he's got like a little cigar in his mouth, and they probably won't do that because you know promoting smoking to kids or something, but like. I definitely wish he had like a little cigar poking out the side of his mouth because like that's Wolverine, right, Troop? Yeah, well, I like the idea of that, and I think it's a huge modeling opportunity. So while AMG may not be supporting that, I know that Wolverine's going around. He's not worried about himself himself, so uh, I can definitely see a lot of cigars ending up for him. So Yeah, exactly. Leland, what do you think of this model? So I got to be honest, it, it does not speak to me. Uh, I'm not really a huge fan of it, uh, simply because I just I just don't care for the look. I think from a design standpoint, it looks fine. It looks great. Uh, I just I don't care for the hat. I don't care for like the the Canadian cowboy look. Oh yeah, yeah. Troop, what do you think about this yeah. model overall? Um, I I'm I'm concerned that uh, he's going to be done up with his jacket being a uh, a leather jacket or not rather than a leather jacket being done up as a denim jacket. And up in Canada, we call that a Canadian tuxedo. So, yeah, uh, I don't know if he's ready for that kind of class. So, <laughs> he's, I mean, it's Wolverine. He's definitely not that classy, but someone's going to do it. And I can't wait to see it. And, you know, this is one of those where it's like there's plenty of great models in MCP, right? Like you've got Green Goblin, you've got these Sentinels, Cable's a great model. There's a myriad of great models in MCP. So not all of them are going to be the most exciting or the most dynamic. And and this one's fine. Like it's it's one of those that I'm kind of with you Leland, it doesn't kind of get the juices flowing or anything like that. But uh you know, as we dive into this card, I think we're going to find a little bit more to love about this character. And to start us off, we've got a left stat line now. I still don't know what to say. Top left, left. It all sounds weird. Uh, basic stat line, maybe that. Maybe they'll start with that. I don't know. Logan the Wolverine with an alter ego name of James Logan Howlett. He has four physical defense, four energy defense, 
and a 2 Mystic Defense. He has a Stamina value of 6. He is Threat 4, Size 2, and he moves Medium. And before we get too much deeper into this, nothing changes from what we're talking about on his injured side, unlike the original Wolverine. So, Troop, how do you feel about this basic stat line here? So I like the upgraded energy defense. Like, that. that's always been a, a bit of a, a sore point for me on the other Wolverine. He's... uh. He gets shot too easily, and I think that's that's a sad thing. So I really like the fact that he's a little bit tougher against energy, and I love the fact that he's six and six on both sides. He doesn't tire out. He's he's a hundred percent the whole time. Yeah, I'm with you there, Leland. How do you feel about that two mystic defense? Is that still going to be a pretty big weakness for him? You think? I think the two mystic defense is fine in the grand scheme of things uh, i think it's always a good thing when characters have some built-in weaknesses uh to them and i think that's that's exactly what this this mystic is i mean traditionally speaking he's he's never really reacted too well to having his head uh, messed with right <laughs> exactly so i th i think it makes perfect sense uh to have to have that two mystic now i do want to say though like it just in regards to the stat block something that amg has been doing that they could just bugger right off with at this point is changing the name of the heroes themselves like logan the wolverine you've just invalidated so many fun cards oh oh doing man that. i know right like the uh was it is fastball specials just say wolverine uh weapon x program there you go uh, just says wolverine yeah like it's it's yeah it was just a little pet peeve of mine that's all yeah <laughs> but, uh, but otherwise yeah like i i I like the stat line i think the 442 is perfectly fine and this troop said having the six on both sides for stamina is is just wonderful yeah yeah i'm with you there on definitely the stamina front and yeah fastball special just says wolverine which is definitely a sad day for logan the wolverine here but uh you know it's it's one of those things i think maybe it's because they might not know they're going to have other versions. And like, I think whenever we see tactics cards that have the alter ego name on them, as opposed to the superhero name, that's when you can kind of be like, Hmm, maybe there's another version of this character around the corner because we've seen that a few different times now where they've updated different wordings and whatnot. So yeah. Leland, will you go over violent Wolverine's attacks, please? All right, well, to start us off, we have his uh, physical X-slash attack, which has a range three with five dice for zero power. It is your typical builder, so that is it will gain power equal to damage dealt. Uh, he also has a range one place. Uh, after the attack is resolved, you can place him within range one of the target character. And then it has the wild pierce. So if it rolls a, uh, a wild result, uh, during the modify, or what is it? Um, basically, it can change one of the defender's hits, or sorry, yeah, crits, wilds, or shield results to a blank. Heck yeah, I love Pierce. And in terms of the timing of this, this is definitely a weird one sometimes. Like, even though we've had this for a long time, it still can be a little bit weird. And the timing is basically you, as the attacker, roll your dice, the defender rolls their dice. You as the attacker roll your crits in, defender rolls their crits in. Then the players modify their own dice. So the, starting with the attacker, he modifies his dice. So like if you had anything 
like Ayavagamoto or maybe some other stuff on this card that we're going to talk about a little bit, you would do that with Wolverine first. Then the defender would choose to modify their dice. Then the attacker can modify the defender's dice. So that's when your pierce comes in. So the, the Wolverine player could say, oh, you rolled a shield over there? Well, let me change that to a blank. And then this is the only time that this really comes up is for things like Modoc or Black Swan or Doctor Strange when he's got the Ironbound books up and he's got his reverse pierces. So basically the pierce could get rid of the reverse pierce on Doctor Strange as an example, or the pierce would still go through on one of Modoc's and then the defender would change that pierce result or could change that pierce result. I know it's a little complicated. It's a little weird, but it's, it's one of those that you still have to like, it, it's a weird little timing thing. But uh, outside of that, I got to say, I love this attack. <laughs> like, like back to, back to the attack here, five dice range three with a place within range one that is mandatory. I, I was just going to say, you got to watch out for that mandatory aspect. <laughs> yes. So I really like the, the, what, he, what they've done with this attack because I don't know how much Beast you've played, but you know you always play Beast and you roll that wild and you place and you're like, darn it, I didn't want to place. But like with Wolverine here, you're like, okay, I'm placing. And I, I like what this does for like objective play and stuff like that because now you're able to say, okay, Wolverine, I need you to get up to this objective. You're within range three of it. Cool. That's ours now. Yeah, it, it's a crazy amount of extra movement is what happens with it, right? Exactly. Troop, how do you feel about this attack as a as a builder attack? So I absolutely love the fact that he can use this to sometimes ping pong himself ahead, but other times it's more about like just getting into the right position to do something else that he might be able to do later. Um, but the fact that he has a uh, it's range three. It's kind of like he's always got that extra little reach with his claws, and this card is actually exemplifying that. So, yeah, I, I also really love that. imagine that he's like leaping. Like every time he does this, it's like that scene from X two where he's like leaping and he and he jumps down and he stabs stabs the guys. You know, that's what I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, every time he's he's leaping. So Leland, what's the next attack? Next up, we have another physical attack called Tornado Claw. This one is interesting because it's a beam three with seven dice being rolled uh, for four power. Uh, and this one has, after all attacks generated by this attack have been resolved, you place this character within range one of the last character targeted by this attack. Um, so I, I got to comment on that in a moment. But in addition, there is a wild pierce, which we just discussed, uh, but there is also a wild bleed. So nice. on a roll of a wild, you'll apply the bleed condition to a character. And, you know, for those, for those who don't know what bleed is, is at the end of a character's activation, if they have a bleed condition on them, they will suffer one damage. Yeah, it's so. pretty great. And it's funny, I was in a, playing a game against a, a local here recently. Shout out to Thompson. And he kept putting bleed on my characters. And I kept forgetting to do the bleed. And he kept being like, hey, did you do that bleed damage? It's like, oh, crap. <laughs> hey, did you do that bleed damage? Oh, crap. And it's one of those things where, you know, even though there's only a few things to remember in this game, it's real easy to forget about it. And uh, when when you're out there playing a game against somebody, don't be afraid to remind them of stuff. You know what I mean? So, 
Oh, absolutely. And and bleed is one of those nothing conditions until all of a sudden it's the most important one out there, right? Exactly, exactly. So, Troop, I want to get your opinion on Tornado Claw before I, uh, me and Leland give ours, because I think this is a really interesting attack. Okay, so normally I hate Beam 3. Beam 3 usually means I place my guy wrong, and I'm actually only going to get one guy with this because I'm just out, just slightly. But because of the X-Slash, he gets to place himself from that attack, and you can set yourself up for this one, sort of like a ping-pong move. Like, I hit the one guy with my X-Slash, place in range one, line up uh, 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 my beam three, and then slash through and get to the other side. Like, I just love the idea of him, like, ping-ponging off of opponents. That, that, that just seems amazing. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. And this is one where... It's definitely about like the setup, right? And setting up with X slash and trying to be in range to kind of affect the game state and all that stuff. But even if you aren't able to set up with X slash, which I think you definitely should be trying to do that. But if you aren't, that's that's fine. But as long as you're close enough to get a couple of them, you can definitely affect your positioning. But the interesting thing about Tornado Claw is... It's after all attacks generated have been resolved, place within one of the last character targeted by this attack. Now, what you could see happen is some very cheeky, like, lethal protector or heroes for hire or bodyguard effects that, like, you're like, okay, I'm going to place off of this one, be on this objective or be able to grab this objective, whatever. But then all of a sudden, Captain America throws up the shield and he says, oh, no, you don't and interrupts that, and you have to place off of him instead of the character you were trying to originally place off of, I think like an effect like that is very interesting, and that that interaction is one that is very interesting for players, and I'm excited to see that unfold on the tabletop. Leland, how do you feel about it? I think you're absolutely right, actually. That that was kind of the point I wanted to bring up when I was reading through it. Uh, it, it basically forces you to think about how you're going to resolve the attacks in that beam. So, you know, who's the first person getting punched, who's the second, and so on, because you want to be able to kind of control where your place is happening as best as possible. Um, so you got to watch out for little for little things like that. Is it going to come up all the time? No, I don't think so. Uh, but when it does come up, it, it can really screw with your math. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know about you, but whenever I'm playing someone, and even though... I've done a review on every character in this game, and I've played a ton of ton of this and all that stuff. I don't remember what every character does all the time. So one of the things I always am asking is like, hey, do you have any defensive tech that I need to know about before I start choosing my targets or something like that when I'm doing a beam or an area attack? And it's as simple as that. Just ask your opponent, hey, do you have anything I need to know about before I start deciding who I'm targeting and which way I'm going? And I think that's a perfectly fine thing to do. Would you agree, too? Yeah, I, I think that I love the way that you set up something, but you kind of, hey, uh, anything I should be worried about with this guy over here? Oh, yeah, yeah, right, that thing. You want to spend the power? Okay, yeah, that's cool. But I also like the fact that you can kind of, like, use this attack because you kind of choose the order with who you hit in a beam that you could be like, okay, the guy you can defend over there, uh, I'm going to hit him first. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're going to switch it over with bodyguard. Okay, now the rest of my beam's going to hit these guys. I'm going to place where I want it to anyways. So yeah. I think this kind of is a little sneaky that it kind of gets around a couple of things. Oh yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I can't remember and I'll have to get some clarification on it is so let's say you've got a beam 
and Captain America, Vision, and Black Widow are all three lined up for your beam. Let's just use those three as an example. And you target Captain America first, and let's say he survives. Captain America can then bodyguard for one of the other two, and then you can't target that character you targeted that Captain America bodyguarded for. You can't target that one again. So let's say he bodyguards for Vision. You can't go back and target Vision again. You just have to go after Black Widow, and then he bodyguards for Black Widow, and there you go. So I think those are like the scenarios where you kind of have to think about it a little more, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how that works, like in terms of like targeting for beams. So if it's not, I will let you guys know. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's just super interesting and, and makes for a lot don't, of fun. Don't worry, I, I, I got you on this. I can just say something totally wrong and like Negladar will just appear like magic and, and he'll give you the right answer. This is true. This is true. <laughs> so, Troop, let's go over the superpowers starting with something that isn't very nice. So the ability is called What I Do Isn't Very Nice. It costs three power. It's an action. And it says, uh, this character immediately makes an X slash attack action. After the attack is resolved, if the target character is uh, size three or less, this character may throw the target character S. This superpower may only be used once per turn. I love it. And it's an active superpower, so it has to be during Wolverine's turn that this is used. And... uh... Yeah, what he does isn't very nice, I'm going to say, because this is a sweet superpower. It, it's a little expensive for, I think, not actually getting... It's, it's like a weird version of a charge, right? Because you got to think about that range 3 place off of X-slash. There's no movement involved in this one, which definitely seems weird. But at the same time, you are getting that movement when you do X-slash. And in terms of the timing of, like, placing versus throwing here's a very fun thing you get to choose which one you do first can confirm speaking of nagoldar he confirmed that that you because both things happen during the same step in the attack sequence you can do the throw and then place off of that or you can do the place then do the throw the the fact that like you have so much control over when these things happen is is just amazing like <laughs> i'm gonna do this first because this is advantageous or i'm gonna drop this guy here and then throw you over there like it's you've got so much control over uh over everything with this this ability and that's just amazing you can use it to set up sweet beams as well right like because you have you now have that control aspect you can throw somebody into a position where maybe you weren't able to beam multiple people before but now you're in that position to do so Oh yeah, the sweet beams will flow with this one, but in order to do that, you're going to need a lot of power, and it's one of those things, seven power when you just look at it in a vacuum, but you should get at least a little bit of a refund on what I do isn't very nice, especially with some of the other things we're going to talk about here in a second. I keep alluding to this, burying that lead just right down in the ground, but you know what? It's all going to come around here in a second. I love this. Like you said, Leland, setting up those sweet beams, playing this, that little bit of control. I mean, that is the kind of game I love to play. Like, I like to throw dice and throw hands, all that fun stuff as it, as it relates to MCP, I guess. Uh, not throwing hands in real life. No, no. We're, we're not out here trying to be a ruffian or something like Wolverine. <laughs> but uh, 
Well, you, you, you do have a big stompy robot in your convocation that casts fist, right? He does. He does cast fist and also he, he casts like energy lasers, you know, so it's pretty great. It's uh, anyways, I love, I just love this and it's size three throw. So those characters like lizard that are hard to displace or Omega red, you're going to sneak up on those characters with this character, which I think is kind of fun. Throw a She-Hulk. You can throw a She-Hulk. Oh my goodness, that sounds awful. I mean, it's <laughs> it's supposed to be the other way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what is Wolverine doing here? And and I just love the idea of again, like thematically thinking about this little five foot three Canadian dude running up on a She-Hulk and being like, "Get out of here!" You know, it's just that kind of stuff just makes me laugh so much. So, Troop, what's the next superpower we have here? Uh, well, it's a passive. It's adamantium skeleton. We've seen this before. It's uh, when determining whether this character can be thrown or pushed by an effect or special rule, or when it's colliding with another character or terrain feature, this character counts as size three. Oh yeah, makes sense. We aren't we aren't in de adamantiumed Wolverine yet territory. What's yeah, and, and I kind of consider this like a mostly negative ability because I, I unfortunately have had my, my little Canadian thrown into a few too many of his friends, but I, <laughs> I, I would be upset if he didn't have it, so it's, it's fine. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. So uh, what's the next one? Uh, it's another passive. It's called Get Out of My Head. And the first time this character is damaged by an enemy mystic attack each turn, after the attack is resolved, other allied characters within range three of this character suffer one damage. Characters that suffered damage this way gain one power. That is very interesting. And Troop, you got to put the sauce on the name on this one, right? I mean, we all remember the cartoon, you know, get out of my head, you know, like you got to put the sauce on it. Let's hear it with the sauce. Get out of my head. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I love it. So, yeah, I I got to say, this this is a really awesome innate superpower. Uh, Leland, what do you think about this one? I think it's very interesting, very flavorful, and I think they actually got the right sort of balance of um, balance to the wording of the rule. Because uh, I know there's been some discussion about, it. well, why doesn't it affect all other characters within range three, right? And I think if that were the case, you you could create sort of like an interesting little Wolverine bomb where, you know, you just don't want to target him with mystic attacks when he's in deep into uh, into your your backfield or anything like that. So just by having it target the allied characters to Wolverine himself, uh, it creates a very interesting risk reward. Uh, but it also plays into something else we're going to see on this card very nicely as well. Uh, so I like it. I, I think it's actually quite interesting. I completely agree with you, and yeah, there's a little bit more to come, and the thing I think about this is, I also feel like, again, it's a thematic thing, right? Wolverine's so susceptible to mental domination, uh -huh, pun intended, with the card that's in the game, but uh, that he could be, like, tricked into hurting his own friends. I mean, that's the entire, uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert for, spoiler alert. I'm just going to, for a comic book that's been out for a long time, but I'm going to do it anyways. That's last chance. All right, skip ahead like two minutes. That's the entire, not that long. Don't skip that long. Uh, that's, but that's like the point of the old man Logan storyline is that he 
kind of gets mentally dominated by, I think, Mysterio, if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, yeah, I believe it's Mysterio. Yeah, and, and ends up killing all of the X-Men. Not just a couple of them, literally all of them. In all fairness, I think he knew what he was doing to Scott. Well, you're probably <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, they're best friends. They're best buds. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah, sure. Best buds. Okay. Yeah. So, so like this right here kind of, I think in that way plays into that theme. And, and like you said, I think that's, that's one of those things where I could see this like something where, where, you know, you had all those play testers out there, AMG doing, doing the work and being like, okay, the, the Wolverine bomb is just, it's not going to be good. We, we need to not do this. And then they're like, okay, so allied characters, cool. It's on theme. And then I like how it also it's like, well, if you do damage your allied characters, they're at least going to get a power for it, which I think is kind of like softens that blow just enough, I think. I think that's actually a great bit of text because something that a lot of people probably glossed over was the fact that the damage isn't coming from an enemy effect in this instance. It's coming from Wolver the superpower of Wolverines. So traditionally speaking, they wouldn't be getting power for it because it isn't an enemy effect damaging them, right? Exactly. Exactly. Troop, how do you feel about this superpower? Well, uh, for me, it kind of reinforces that uh, when, when two guys show up at a bar and tell him to uh, join their team, he's, uh, he doesn't like people. He doesn't like friends. <laughs> he doesn't need friends. And it's probably better for those friends if they stay far, far away from him. Yep, there you go. And what's the next innate superpower we have, Troop? Well, we have another passive. It's called On the Hunt. When this character makes an attack, if there are no allied characters within range three of it, this character may reroll up to two of its attack dice. Ooh, boy, that's spicy. Oh my gosh, is this spicy. Troop, I want to get your opinion on this one first. So, uh... I was alluding to it at the start, but Wolverine doesn't like friends and he doesn't need friends because he's rolling two attack dice on his things. And with those wild pierces and wild bleeds, you can kind of fish for them. So like he's going to get through a lot of extra damage just because he gets to reroll these every time, every time, as long as he doesn't have friends, he's uh, he's got violence. Oh, violence is definitely on his side. And I think it's really interesting like this, the first time we've seen anything like this where whenever friends aren't around a character, then they get a benefit for it. And when you think about range three, I mean, everybody remembers the dark days of bitter rivals. I'm sure uh, I say dark days. I actually really liked bitter rivals, but whatever. So that's a pretty big bubble. It's, it's a, it's a lot more space than you think. So I think on the hunt is a really interesting thing here. And this also plays into why tornado claw is worded like it is like after all attacks generated you do the place that way you can start from a place where on the hunt happens and then maybe get closer to your friends after that which i think is really interesting and trying to set up the staying out of range three and having to make those tough choices of like okay do i go for the optimal target and be within range three of my friends and not get the two re-rolls or do I go for maybe a suboptimal target and then I get all these rerolls and maybe it changes that math just that little bit. I think that's a really interesting like conundrum for players. 
and I know Leland, you and I have talked about this before, providing players with choice and tough decisions is awesome. I mean, isn't that what you see with this superpower? I, absolutely. I, I think it's just, gives them so much wonderful utility. Uh, but I think more importantly, it lets you sort of harass a board edge on his own, uh, which is not to be understated because this, this is a card that can very easily go up against uh, two, three threat characters, a four and a three threat. Like he can take on multiple targets um, without too much difficulty. And this reroll just makes sure that uh, any attack that goes through is going to have that extra little bit of, punch to it oh absolutely absolutely and then uh troop he's got two two other things here yeah so they're both passives uh it's he healing factor two and immunity stun something we've seen before oh yes I, I love it i think it's great and i gotta say just like looking at the total package here of violent wolverine i i'm impressed and i think it's one of these things where it's like he's gonna feel really different on the tabletop than his original version, which I think is fine. In terms of, I know there's been discussion about like invalidating the original version. Uh, it's, that's tough to say. Like OG Wolverine has his place in many people's hearts. I get that, but he was never my kind of character. There was just too many downsides to warrant putting him on the tabletop for me, and he didn't fit with what I wanted to play. Logan the Wolverine here, Violent Wolverine, Definitely has more of of what I want to do on the tabletop, I think. Got that little bit of control. It's got some interesting movement and and kind of like a the idea of like a super solo. And we have characters in this game that kind of fit that mold of super solos, but not as much in the way of like Logan the Wolverine really, really is a super solo character because you want him to be away from his friends. And to your point, Leland... Keeping him out on a wing, like, oh, hey, there's a, there's, I'm gonna hold down this objective over here on the side, and then, and then pop in, and then maybe pop back out or something like that. I think could be really fun. And I want to get your overall thoughts on this character, Leland. What do you, what do you feel like with this character? Uh, actually, I, I feel very similarly to this Wolverine as I feel about uh, Violent Steve. I think it's, it's an excellent iteration of the character. I don't think it necessarily invalidates the previous one. Because I think what we've seen is we've seen the team player Wolverine, and now we have the loner Wolverine, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's two very different play styles that you can you can work with with this one. Uh, I love the fact that we have a character that can very much go and bully the backfield. Uh, he can go after those sort of like uh, the, those uh, objective campers, you know, the Wongs oh, yeah. of the world, the bullseyes of the world, uh, and really put a lot of pressure on them. But he's not he's not a slouch when it comes to uh, other fights in the game as well. You don't have to worry about throwing him up to any objective. And more importantly, you don't have to worry about him not holding, like securing or contesting an objective on his injured side, uh -huh. like the other Wolverine. Exactly. Troop, how do you feel about this character in the overall? So... With his two powers that say, I don't like friends, I was immediately like, okay, can this guy hold a lane by himself? And I think he can hold certain lanes, but he has some frustrating matchup issues. Like, you can't really drop him down as your first drop uh, onto a lane and be like, aha, I've got everything solved here. Because they're going to drop a mystic guy on the other side and Logan's going to have a bad day. But I really do think that, like, he could 
stare down a two threat and a three threat, maybe even two three threats without a lot of concern. And uh, probably come out on top. And as as Leland was saying, get into a backfield position where he's just causing a, a, a huge amount of problems for your opponent while the rest of your team is maybe more clustered between the other two lanes. Um, I <laughs> The mystic... Uh, uh, weakness with uh, get out of my head uh, was definitely one of those things that make sure that I, I kind of need to be ready to drop someone before him and, and make sure uh, any sort of uh, heavy hitter mystic guy on the other side is kind of out of the way before I drop Logan. But I really like how I actually spent a little bit of time last night kind of going through the other four threats that have a lot of physical attacks. And I was trying to see if there was anyone who was just better than him. And the only one I kind of got close with was Violent Steve. But even in that situation, Wolverine still got his two range three attacks that are just, it's so good and it applies in so many situations. In his place, it feels like uh, he's always going to be doing something. I'm, I'm hoping that there's some sort of card that's going to allow him to do a, a pseudo charge or something like that. Because that's probably the one area I'm most worried about with him. But I, I'm very excited to see this out on the, the table. I don't know that I'm necessarily going to try to throw him in with a lot of his mutant friends, but I, I have some, some plans for him in, in certain matchups, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of where he fits in with friends, even though he doesn't like friends, we still have to put him on the tabletop with other models. I mean, I guess you could run just Wolverine alone here, Violent Wolverine, but, uh, you know, you probably don't want to do that. So... In terms of affiliations and whatnot, I think that, first of all, there's also a very glaring thing missing on this card, and that is a leadership, because we've been told that there will be a Weapon X leadership in the box of Terrain Wolverine Sabretooth. So there's no leadership here. So does that mean Sabretooth is the leader of Weapon X? I find that to be very interesting. Or does that mean we're going to have a convocation situation where we have a card or something like that. So I'm very intrigued by that. So one possibility that you're missing is it could be like the black order and you assign it to somebody. So it could be a card that just like spontaneously drops down for someone. So, Oh yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with that and what that leadership is. I'm, I'm very curious. So I think in terms of where violent Wolverine fits in, I think places that are going to be able to give him extra dice and then he can maximize that reroll is going to be great. But that's usually means keeping him within range of his friends, right? So the only one that I can think of is like a Black Order where he can get a Death's Decree. But I don't know if Wolverine really fits in with that, right? Or anywhere that you're dropping a Thanos and he can be like, okay, boom, I'm going to Death's Decree from range four this violent wolverine and now you are dead <laughs> you know whatever whatever it is you're going for there but i think other places that are interesting are i think like sentinels could be interesting because being able to put prime and him together and primes re-rolls are range four so you're just like kind of stacking the re-rolls there but remember when you stack re-rolls it is diminishing returns you'd rather have extra dice but still getting extra re-rolls super good and in terms of my normal games, like I, I play so much Convocation, it's hard for me to take it take a look out of that. Like I actually don't think he'd be terrible there, but at a four threat slot, I've got other characters I want to fit in. 
The reason why I don't think he'd be terrible in convocation is, okay, the, the mystic defense thing, he just gets no benefit from Ironbound books, but whatever. But being able to say, okay, the rest of my team's going over here, and then Violent Wolverine's going to just be over here harassing whoever he is going to harass. I think that, that that kind of thing is interesting. And, and I think that whenever you're putting this version of Wolverine in a squad for you, that's how you kind of have to think about it is, all right, do I want my four threat character, which is a lot of investment, operating over here on an island and trying to hold things down and maybe my opponent potentially just running away from him? But that has value in and of itself too, especially if it's pay to flips or something like that, or if you can get an early extract objective on Violent Wolverine, then you can say, okay, now you have to come to me. And, and I feel like that that kind of stuff is very interesting, but I can't really think of any, any particular leaderships that really stand out other than what we would expect, something like X-Men. If he's not affiliated with X-Men, I'll be really disappointed. So, you know, there's that. But uh, other than that, I mean, uh, Leland, do you have anywhere that you think he really fits in? Uh, actually, I got two. Uh, so the first one actually is Web Warriors, uh, hey. because he's he brings an aggressiveness to that Web Warriors lacks at the moment, uh, and then Miles' leadership giving him that uh, that defensive reroll mm-hmm. and possibly the ability to reroll crits uh, is is actually fa- really good for him. I think I, I think that fails. just gives him a lot of extra steam. Um, but that's the easy one. The other one that I actually really like uh, is actually Hydra. Oh. Uh, toss him in, toss him in Hydra, and give him uh, what is it? Experimental weaponry or scientific? Uh, yeah, yeah, the whatever. Uh, experimental... Whatever that Zola card is. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and give give him that card. So all of a sudden, you know, you're you're boosting up his defenses a little bit, and uh, he's got the healing factor to to hold on, um, to to just kind of like regain some of that health that he's going to lose from it. Uh, so that is one that I actually really like. And then of course, cause you're going to be running him at objectives. Um, like if, if, if it's red skull led, you're going to get that extra little bit of, uh, of power for holding the objective. Uh, or at the very least, if it's, uh, if it's Strucker led, you will have that option to sort of shift off any conditions that might get tossed on them. Yeah. The scientific method. That's the one you're thinking of there. Yeah. That's really good. And when you were talking about the rerolls, you mentioned criticals, what you meant was crit fails and I agree with you on you're good on the web warriors thing because while again four threat is a contested spot in web warriors and a lot of times because you want venom in there or you know you want to be able to play really wide or something like that but I feel like this could be interesting if like you get a a bad secure setup and like let's say you're playing something like intrusions or something like that you could say okay wolverine you go over here and fight the guy that's, you know, this guy over here and then pop in when we need you. Or you can say, you know, try to just run around and, and displace and move with your Web Warriors characters and put Wolverine in the position to make, you know, him get more value there. And, and I think that that's really interesting. Troop, what about you? Where do you see violent Wolverines fitting in? So my pet spot for him, because I I have a a sick fascination with it, is Dark Dimension. Uh, Dark Dimension gives him the power to throw throw out the what I do isn't very nice and Tornado Claw on the same turn or uh, because he has a healing factor. Oops, I had too much energy. I healed it anyways. I'm not too worried about it. And Dormammu 
really doesn't want to have a bunch of friends around him because he's already costing eight threat. You really need someone who's going to hold a lane by himself. So I love Wolverine over in Dark Dimension. But my other one that's a little bit more cagier is actually in Midnight Suns. And the reason oh. for it is, is you could do an X slash, do your one place, bump, and then all of a sudden you're almost three away from the character you just hit, potentially hitting another character for some more damage. So you can get to some really wild situations if you can uh, do some some tricksy uh, bump in the night shenanigans. So I really like both of those guys for that. Absolutely. I Yeah, those are real good things. And that's one thing I think that we didn't really mention. He only has the one superpower, but like you want to get that online, I feel like, as early as possible. So anywhere where he can gain that extra power, especially early, I think is going to be very strong. And the last thing I want to say about Violent Wolverine here, I don't think that he is a, like if he's in your roster, he's not there to play every single match. Like if you want to play him every match, you certainly can be my guest. Like I don't, I'm not saying he won't provide some value on the team. But what I mean is I think you drop him into very specific crisis setups and very specific opponent setups, right? Like, if you're going into an Avengers that doesn't have a Dr. Voodoo or any Mystic on them, I think that's really strong. Or if you're you're playing on a really spread out secure scenario, so like Scoundrels or the Infinity Formula, the B shape, the D shape, I think all of those are, are valid places to put him. But if you're playing on Demons Downtown, if you're playing on Intrusions, Mare Fisk, stuff like that, I think it's less good. Mayor Fisk and and whatnot, I think, is actually a really good one for him because he's immune to stun. But also, you don't want to be around your friends and having a single character hold down one side, if unless like if your opponent's entire team piles on to that side that Logan's on, then you know that could create some interesting situations. So, actually, yeah, Mayor Fisk sounds like a really good one for him. The more I think about it. So, anyways, uh, final thoughts. Uh, for you, Troop? Uh, I, I actually want to double down on that. Him in your roster is actually going to be really good, not just because you can like look at your opponent's roster and be like, oh, I'm definitely going to drop him, but your opponent has to look over at your roster and be like, you know what? Maybe that, that Dr. Voodoo isn't the best in this situation, but if he brings Logan the Wolverine, I need to make sure I have him. So sometimes it's going to make your opponent make some dicier decisions than they need to, but like overall... He's going to bounce around, make a big mess, even in those situations where you're worried about him being clumped up. If he gets off a tornado claw or what I do isn't very nice, he's not going to be around anyone. He's going to be at the back of the table by that point. So I, I, I love him. I love what he can do. I just, I wish he liked friends a little bit more. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. I just want to quickly circle back. Did you just insinuate voodoo is not a must take? I was trying to imply that was the case, but I, I, I wanted to come up with someone else that I, I throw out maybe, but not necessarily. And everyone I came up with was really bad. <laughs> I mean, Clea eats Logan's lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she she eats she eats her own lunch at the same time, though. Let's be honest. This is fa this is very fair. She does try to kill herself when I'm piloting her all the time. <laughs> So Max kills all the time. Exactly. Leland, what are your final thoughts here on Logan before we get into another big topic for today? Uh, I think he's a very splashable four threat. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily at the top of the four threat list for people to splash, 
but I think there's definitely arguments to be made for him in certain lists. I think he, I think he can get a lot out of a number of different affiliations. I think he can do a lot of work on his own. And I think he's really solid at putting pressure on the backfield, which is something that I absolutely love doing. I mean, as Troop can attest, it's, it's something that I love to do with violent Steve all the time. It's what I love to do whenever I try to make ASM work. Um, I like anything that puts pressure on that backfield. Absolutely. I'm right there with you, Leland. I think that's really excellent advice and a way to think about like piloting this character. So, Suits, let us know what you think about Violent Wolverine and whether or not you think he's going to be of value on the tabletop and some places that you might deploy him and uh, get the most out of him. And you can let us know by sending us messages on Facebook. You can send us messages uh, over at housepartyprotocolpod at gmail.com. If you are a part of our Discord community, you can send us messages over there. And if you want to learn how to be part of our Discord community, you can check out patreon.com slash housepartyprotocol for as little as a dollar a month or 12 bucks a year. You can support the show and come and be a part of the uh, most awesomeness Discord community this side of the internet. And uh, yeah, just come hang out and all that fun stuff. And uh, we'll be doing some more giveaways and stuff as the uh, time goes on. And for our, our I guess, Christmas giveaway, we're going to be doing... This box, the Logan, Sabretooth, and Bunker box. So I'm excited to do a giveaway for that. And uh, yeah, now, gentlemen, since a giant bunker piece of functional terrain comes with these characters, I think it's only fair that we have a discussion about terrain today. And what inspired me to think about this is you guys' last battle report where it was the Avengers versus the Midnight Suns, I think it was. And yes. and y'all were playing with the Quinjet, and throughout the game, that piece of terrain was very impactful. And not just on like the game state itself, but also just on how the models sat on it, just physically being a presence on the table and how like you had to make sure things balanced and all of that stuff. And I felt like it, it made for an interesting discussion, and you guys mentioned that at the end and in the after-action report, how having a big discussion around terrain was something that you wanted to do. So that's one of the main reasons why I invited both of y'all on here today is because I want to talk about that. I think terrain in this game is so interesting and so dynamic, and AMG does such a good job with, I think, their terrain rules overall, but yet we get these beautiful models like the Quinjet, that just don't feel particularly functional. And there's a couple other ones that we're going to mention here. But I, I want to get you guys' opinion on this a little bit. And Leland, I'm going to start with you. Like, How do you feel about terrain and, and how its impact on this game overall is felt? So a- anyone who has tuned in to watch any of the battle reports that I've put together, uh, and this goes this goes way back to, through multiple game systems, uh, one very consistent thing that you'll always see is that I love to build a board that is lived in, uh, a board that makes sense, it, it looks functional, that it's not just, okay, well, we have the requisite number of pieces on the table here. Um, to make the game the game state work, uh, I I always want to make sure that there is lots of terrain because I think it makes the game look great and I think it elevates it. 
Um, and speaking as somebody who has recently taken on the role of, of like an ambassador pushing the game, uh, it makes it more interesting for onlookers as well. Um, so I think I think that's the mindset that everyone needs to understand uh, from where I'm coming from on this one, because it is a mindset that doesn't necessarily jive with the competitive side of the game. Because um, what what is it? The recommended pieces are what twelve to twenty pieces, ranging from size one to size five for the game. I believe it is. I, yeah, I think it's I think um, it's like twelve to sixteen. I don't remember if, how many it is, but I I don't I personally don't play a board with less than 14 pieces because I, I I like my board to to have a lot of variation and stuff and in terms of the competitive scene each piece of terrain has to be at least range two away from its from each other so that's another thing that you know when I'm playing my casual games I don't even think about that but in terms of the competitive scene that's part of the things you have to think about but it's still I think valid when you're when we're having this discussion to think about it from both angles oh yeah and i I think it does have to be considered because they're two very different ways to approach the game and it attracts two very different uh types of people who are playing the game so it's it's interesting because i mean with the denser boards especially in a game where you can throw that terrain you can interact with it with various ways having that denser that denser board can lead to situations where some some character choices some affiliations are just going to have that natural leg up um and it can sometimes create kind of a swingy atmosphere uh but i think it's i think it's also good to see that from time to time as well like i think it's it's always kind of nice to see a brotherhood uh hit the table on a dense terrain and just get the opportunity to go hog uh because that's part of the spectacle of the game itself right oh yeah oh yeah so um but the one other aspect that I think is really important, and I think a lot of the community kind of shies away from it or they kind of dance around it, is we don't see a lot of size four and size five terrain uh, hit the board often. Every so often, like I'll, I'll catch some TTS stuff and we'll see a size four piece of terrain hit the board or something like that. Um, but I think the community in general is kind of dancing around uh, terrain that, one, is not as often throwable as uh, the size one through threes, um, but also terrain that's not necessarily always blocking line of sight to everything. I think I think people are always trying to control that aspect of the game. They're trying to make it so that there's not as much line of sight blocking terrain to it, uh, or not as much like larger pieces of terrain that can be extremely impactful to the game. And I think it's I think it's actually a hold uh, a holdover from the old war machine crowd who very much like to try and control the state of the board at any given time. Yeah. Yeah. See, I wasn't a part of that at all, but I, I do notice that what you're, what you're saying there with like the size four and five pieces of terrain. I, I can't tell you the last time I played with a size five piece of terrain. And it's one of those things where I, I like the size four pieces of terrain, even though I don't play characters that can interact with it at all, just because I feel like that it, it creates a dynamic environment and it makes something fun and like even if it's off to the side you still have to think about it and for me running characters at least that the ones I currently run that have flight it really isn't too much of an impact but like you have to think about that and I think that part of the reason why you might see a lot of people set up their boards 
without that kind of stuff is because they want to be able to maneuver around it without having to be negatively like feel negative about it i guess would be the way to put it like it's not that it's a negative play experience but that it's like oh man i gotta move the short tool zemo can't get over that darn it you know that kind of like i feel like maybe that's where people are coming from with that kind of stuff troop what do you feel like with this stuff uh, I have a similar opinion to Leland's, but I, I have a slightly different bend on it. Like, I really dislike the idea that board setup is going to have a dramatic impact on how powerful my characters or tactics cards are going to be. So, like, in a recent game, uh, I had Dormammu running around, as, as I do, and I played the card Smash, where I tore apart a fuel truck and tossed out 10 dice with each of his basic attacks, and... It meant that that card was really good. Cards like Heave Ho and, uh, as as Leland mentioned, uh, Magneto's Brotherhood ability, those cards are only really impactful if there is the terrain there to be used. So sometimes I have a, a little bit of beef with tournaments that, you know, what what do you mean? This is like this 12 or 14 pieces of terrain on this board. Where Where's the rest of it? Where are my size 4s? Where are my size 5s where things are definitely hiding? Like... How, how are those poor baby sentinels going to hide behind a building, a <laughs> tiny little two-story home if uh, if you don't have it on the table? But um, I think that AMG has done a better job than almost any other company with regards to releasing very good, very playable terrain that also uh, takes takes the look of the game and really gives it its own flair. And I, I love that aspect. It's interesting that you say very playable terrain because I remember you guys talking about your Quinjet experience and having the, like the the cockpit area as an area that's just a dead area because you can't even get a model to balance on that. And the idea was like, well, maybe you put some poster tack on the bottom of that or something like that. And and that's like kind of anti-thematic and slows the game down. Let me take this poster tack off real quick. So like, do you feel like it's okay, Troop, to have that dead area on the board where it's like, you know what, just models can't sit here. So we we came up with a workaround where instead of it being that the entire Quinjet was size five, non-interactable, you can't go on it, we made it so that very specific areas on the plane were not areas you could jump onto. Now, that was untenable for its own reasons, but um, I feel like the Quinjet is a very uh, unique situation compared to the rest of AMG terrain for That's the fair. most part. There's certain other ones that I have gripes with. Water Tower, I'm talking to you. But uh, I, I love the idea that uh, they, they made that model. I think it looks cool. It looks very engaging. It makes me want to have an, uh, a, a helicarrier board and just toss the <laughs> two of them out there and uh, you know put a punch of... Uh, debris and stuff like that or i don't know what other kind of things are on aircraft carriers but i'd find out to make sure i had stuff for that board um but i definitely wish that like some of the cars where you can definitely place your size two model on the hood of a car and he has no problems hanging out on that that car for the entirety of the game i wish that those cockpits and the the tail fins and stuff like that were better designed for the creature comforts of the game as opposed to right. just looking amazing, which it does. Right, for the game experience itself. And 
And I could see that for sure. And I know that like with the Quinjet specifically, you can like maneuver around it and on it in different ways. And like you could be under the wing and still technically be on top of the terrain, which I think is a weird thing. But like Leland, would you feel like that when you're using like, let's say, let's use the Quinjet again as an example is that an example of a piece of terrain that like maybe should be half off the board and like maybe there's like a, a wing or like half a wing or, you know, like half the half the fuselage with a wing overlapping instead of the entire thing? Because it's a huge footprint on the tabletop. Oh, yeah. No, it's absolutely massive. Um, for, for whatever reason, no follow up questions. Uh, I have two of them. And uh, placing both of them on the board like takes up almost like a good third of the table. Um, now, as far as having it sort of half off, I think you run into some. Uh, I I, I want to say no to that one because I think at that point you're not you're not using the terrain for its fully intended use. At that point, it's more just set dressing than it is meant to be something to interact with uh, mm -hmm. in the game. Um, but at the same time, you absolutely can't use that piece of terrain without addressing the very issue that that troop brought up and that there are certain dead zones that you just cannot balance a model on. Um, and it's something that I think uh, of all the terrain that AMG has put out, this one requires uh, a, a conversation with your opponent. And I think you both have to go into it knowing uh, what the expectations are for how to interact with it. Uh, how you're going to be able to walk around it and all that sort of stuff. Now, having said that, I do kind of differ from Troop in in that I do think it's okay to have some dead zones uh, on a piece of terrain, mm -hmm. uh, but I will agree that the Quinjet has too many dead zones. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at with it too. Like, I think some areas that are, are dead zones-ish is fair, but, uh, like, I think a, a more functional piece of terrain, if you're wanting to use a size 5 piece of terrain, is something like the Sanctum Sanctorum. It, you know, and, these, and we're obviously talking about giant pieces of terrain. Like, if you're, if you're not using these big, big, big pieces of terrain, then it's not really going to impact you. But for me, I think, like, having these big pieces of terrain, having a Quinjet, having a Sanctum Sanctorum, having the fuel truck... Whatever it is, even the Black Sight Studio stuff that I have, like I love that stuff. It makes the immersion factor happen more because we all know the those three of us on this podcast right now, and then a lot of the people listening. If you're new here, then maybe you might not know, but that terrain in this game is functionally treated as 2D, functionally, and. I know that it's way more fun to have the three-dimensional models on the board. And I know from War Machine, I, I, didn't, I wasn't huge in that community, but I started kind of, I played a little bit, like just a little bit. Just, just like I, I dipped my pinky toe into that water for a second. And one of the things I noticed is that people would just print out neoprene terrain and it was all flat and you would just feel like, here's the terrain, the rest, it's a, it's a completely flat board. And it wasn't interesting and it wasn't dynamic and the terrain impacted the game state, but it wasn't very interesting. And even though MCP terrain is functionally treated as two-dimensional, like in terms of line of sight and cover and all of that stuff, I'm glad that it's been so ingrained in the community to use these big three-dimensional pieces of terrain. 
and and I don't know where I was going with that, but Leland, what do you think? I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think if you if you look at other game systems and you look at the ones that really thrive, quite often a big factor in it is they can make absolutely gorgeous boards, right? Mm-hmm. Like say what you will about the 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 biggest one on the block, uh, which we all know, you know, is you know that grim dark game. Um, the terrain can really make uh, make your your uh, models look great on the table. It can make a very engaging board, and it makes it very interesting. And I think that is something that AMG looked at that, and they they looked at the history of War Machine and Hordes, where as you described, people were very content just throwing down like you know some neoprene terrain or or some cheesecloth or something like that. And they said, well, you know what? We want a game that is visually engaging. And that's going to catch people's eyes. Uh, so we need to do the 3D terrain. Yeah. And I think by doing that, it it does make the game far more. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, far more engaging in the long run. It's it's more interesting to look at. It's more interesting to move your pieces up and down, uh, terrain and everything like that. So I think I think it's a very important aspect, not just for the state of gameplay, but for selling the game as well. Yeah, um, I, I'll, I'll also say, adding to Leland's point, like I, I'm going to show my age here a little bit. I used to play MechWarrior Dark Age, and it was a game of here is your three lakes. They are these flat pieces of terrain. Here's these three forests. They're flat little cards that you put on the board. Here are these tiny little cardboard boxes. They represent being super infinitely high until you jump on top of them. Um, and the game, despite the fact that some of their miniatures actually looked really great, is someone coming in and taking a look at that? It's like, eh, that looks boring. That looks silly. Why are they playing with little arts and crafts pieces? Um, whereas, like, you know, some of the, the grimdark things, oftentimes when you're playing in a game, the the terrain, the board itself has an element of character that kind of bleeds into the rest of the narrative of the game you're playing. So I love the idea of how AMG approached that even though they use these 2D rules, they have beautiful pieces of terrain that actually help to tell a story. And so, like, when you're playing Demons Downtown and everything is flat, that does not feel like you're downtown. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I like the fact that they've added this element, and while some of the stuff is not necessarily exactly the way we want it, like, I would love to have a flat cockpit because I love the idea of Wolverine sitting on top of the the cockpit of uh, one of those Quinjets and then just leaping down. Um, I'm 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 very happy that AMG has done so much to make sure a lot of the terrain works really well. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. And it's funny because like uh, recently in a game I had with my buddy Sean, there was that Roxxon thing with this Sentinel body in it, and he goes, "Okay, I'm gonna throw this at you." And I'm like, "Okay, cool. It's size three. He goes, "No, no, it's size four. I'm like, "Excuse me," because I'm so used to thinking about the bodega as Leland likes to say being size three, but no, there's a Sentinel body in there. So it's size four. And like that little interaction I thought was pretty funny. And it's stuff like that in this game where we have kind of established things like, okay, this car is size two, this dumpster size two, this bodega size three. And then they kind of like tweak it in such a way, like in that instance, it's, it's definitely uh, like a, a little gotcha moment there 
Uh, speaking of the Roxon station, though, uh, that that sign, that size three like, sign that you can't. That sign. Yeah, yeah, like we had Punisher sitting like in that sign, and I've got Danny Rand there, and he's obviously ducking for cover. But I'm like, there's no reason for Danny Rand to be ducking from cover because Punisher can't shoot underneath that sign. It's size <laughs> three. He's only size two. What are you doing? Exactly. Like, it's it's the it's the little things like that that definitely break the the immersion factor because like you can see through the sign, but, but then I have to remind, oh, maybe the signposts are enormous and bulletproof. <laughs> and he's like, he's like doing the treat, you know, like the, the little get skinny stand behind it kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know, like when you were kids and you used to play hide and go seek and you're like, you know, getting real skinny there hiding and you're like trying to, to be real skinny. You know what I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah! It, oh yeah! It, it, remi- it reminds me of the Sentinels from the X Men cartoon hiding behind a tree. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's uh, those little things like that. We're, we're we're definitely lavishing praise onto AMG with this, but I do think those little touches there are definitely like a little bit of like ugh. But we've got some questions here that I want to take a look at from some of the listeners out there, and one of them that Merzane brings up is for tournaments, would you want terrain to be part of list building and deployment similar to X-Wing? So for those of you that aren't familiar, X-Wing, you're able to like basically set up your own like asteroids and debris fields and stuff like that that are floating around in outer space before you actually start a match. And in terms of how that would work with MCP, one, it would, I think extremely extend the deployment and setup time so i do not like it for that reason and two i think going to a board especially like at an event and saying okay what side of the table do i need to be on and it's a little harder to do in an event because most events don't play on circular tables but saying what side of the board is best for my squad as it relates to the terrain and being able to kind of go through that process, I think is a lot of fun. And I, I think that if you tried to build your board right away, it would it would slow the game down too much and and take a little a little something out of of the excitement of going to a new board for the first time. And uh, Leland, what do you think? Uh, so I I would say that if terrain were to become all much more influenced by the players themselves, uh, I would say that one of the big caveats would be that the TO still has to supply the terrain. Don't make it so players have to bring their terrain. Uh, that is just that that's just gatekeeping. That's just cost gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has the amount of terrain that that they can throw down on a table. Most people probably just have the core box terrain. So if if you make it more involved for players. Don't make that a factor. TO still supply the train. What I would say, though, if you wanted to experiment with that at an event, I would say that you have you you provide a selection of terrain on the table, and you allow the players an additional ten minutes for their for their round, uh, and then just do alternating place terrain following the typical rules. You know, range range two apart from each other, keep it away right. from the edges, stuff like that. Uh, I think it could create a very interesting uh dynamic uh for the board itself it allows you to have a little bit more control over things so 
if you want to say try to counter a brotherhood team well maybe you try to play some of the bigger terrain over on your side of the board away from where they're going to be or vice versa uh so i think it could create an interesting dynamic uh but i think that's something that a to would have to play around with to see if they're comfortable with it and i think that's something that they would have to approach their community about as well to see if they're comfortable with that as well yeah i, I could see that it's I, I can just say personally that would not be for me i i, I wouldn't want to do that but it's something if somebody out there does that let me know what you thought of it because i'm very interested to see how that would play out troop do you have any thoughts on this yeah, I do. So I, I actually play X-Wing as well. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. One of the things they do in there is like you bring your three pieces of terrain, they bring their three pieces of terrain, you put it into a pool, and then you go back and forth placing it. You don't have to place your own terrain, you can place your opponents. So it allows for like if they have a sneaky sneaky going on, you can kind of play around with that and anticipate it. So there is a, a little mini game with regards to putting down terrain. Now, I think you're absolutely right. If we were going to spend like an extra 20 minutes of our game time placing terrain at every board that's makes for a very low impact um use of our time but i could definitely see something like where a board is already partially set up with let's say four pieces of terrain uh, sorry uh, t uh eight pieces of terrain or so and then each player is allowed to bring let's say five uh, eight size worth of terrain so you they could bring like four cars or they could bring like a, a truck and two cars or a truck and a couple of signs or something like that and even though it would add a little bit of time to set up i don't think it would add quite as much time and as long as both players were able to you manipulate what's going on um i think that it would it could lead to some interesting and engaging play experiences without necessarily dragging things down and and creating kind of a let's add an extra hour and a half to our tournament day that that sounds like a total lawn starter but right maybe adding like what if we added an extra 40 minutes to our day that might not be as bad yeah i could see that and and something like that is definitely more intriguing in this topic uh for me but i still feel like that certain affiliations brotherhood specifically and magneto and then anyone that has a hulk or a thor anyone that can move size four pieces of terrain right like I feel like that something like that saying, okay, well, I'm going to drop this truck in the middle of the board or, or between these objectives and you are going to have to deal with it. Not to mention the other size two, three, whatever pieces of terrain that were already on the board to begin with. So like, I feel like that certain affiliations, if they have that agency would be just that much stronger. Whereas you can say, all right, well, I'm playing brotherhood at, this table that is less good for throwing terrain. So maybe I play mystique, you know, that kind of, like, I think part of the reason why pre-established boards for me is so, so good. And why I like it so much is because it, it makes the players have to make choices based on their list and that they can't just totally tech out for one thing. And I think terrain relates to that. So the next question we have here is from Cthulhu taco. And it is, for events, do you prefer a standardized terrain setup across all tables, like all of them having the same number of the same size terrain pieces or variable amounts where some have a little less than others and some are like more, quote unquote, heavy with sizes? And for events specifically, 
I kind of like just a slight bit of variation. I, I like all of them to have the, you know, 14 to 16 pieces, but I don't really mind if some have a Quinjet and others don't, or some have a un, uninteractable piece of terrain. Like Nate, for instance, has a really great Wakanda board where he's got like this circle thing and it looks like a ritual circle thing in the middle. And he's like, yeah, this is size four uninteractable. Like you can't move it because it's like a ritual thing that's like in the ground, right? And I think like thematically that makes a lot of sense and it's really cool, but it still is part of the game. You still have to climb onto it, all of that fun stuff, right? So like, I like that kind of stuff. And I think that having that variation, like at uh, NashCon, there was a table that was like the dark dimension table there. They had like these floating rocks and stuff. That, that was really, really cool. And like, yeah, okay, they're floating rocks and you can see underneath them to shoot at people, but really they block line of sight. But it still looked amazing. So like, I, I like the, I like a little bit of variety, but staying within the range, two away from each other for events and stuff like that. Troop, how do you feel about that? Like for events specifically? Um, I, I think variation is is the part of the game, right? And while I, I was definitely at an event recently and we definitely talked about the concept that like is table one something that should be set to the top two players and therefore they're if you start at a table one and you keep winning, you just stay on that table the whole day, that feels a little bit worse. But I love the idea that actually I prefer the idea that um each board is going to be slightly different because also that means that, you know, if everyone's taking a bunch of small sized uh, or each board is taking a small size set of terrain um, and Magneto shows up, Magneto probably shouldn't have shown up at all. If every board has is very sparsely uh, populated with terrain um, in the other side of things, of course, you also don't want to have too much terrain or too much large terrain, because as you said, like certain certain groups can just go off the rails. So I I do think that there should be some variation. I don't necessarily think it should be like wildly different, but definitely give a little bit of uh, uh, each table having its own flavor. And, and the idea of that circle just sounds amazing, actually. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, I'm sure there's a picture floating around out there on the internet somewhere of it. It's probably my favorite board to play on anytime I go to an event that Nate runs. And every time I've had an event where Nate runs it, I've played on that board. So I hope to keep that train going. Awesome. Yeah. Leland, what do you think? I think when it comes to, uh, when it comes to that sort of idea, if you want to have like uh, the similarities in the boards, I think the approach that I probably take for it is slight variation. Uh, like, I mean, I'm just going to pair it both of you guys on that one. Uh, I think having that slight variation is, is a very important aspect because it does give you some variety over the course of the day. Uh, but I'd want to go one piece or one step further. I think for every board, you should probably try to have sort of like a defining piece of terrain on it as well. Uh, so, for yeah. instance, the event that uh, that troop is discussing, uh, I built the tables for for those for that event. And for each table, I tried to put at least one size four or one size five piece of terrain on that board as kind of the defining piece. This was the piece that you kind of have to work around. Uh, they were always off center, so they were never like smack dab in your face, but they were always in a position where, you know, to grab some objectives, you're going to have to think about it. 
Yeah. And I think that's the approach that I like to take on it is, you know, have that defining piece and then have the other pieces around it to complement that big defining piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the next question that it's not really any of the questions that we have here, but it's kind of the last question that I I want us to think about. And it's re- regards to terrain. I do have one other question I want to ask if we have time for it uh, from our, our suits here. But how big of an impact do you think terrain should have on a given game of MCP? Do you think that, and that means from throws or from having to climb on it or from the Quinjet just being awkward or or whatever, but like, how how big of an impact should terrain have and is is there some kind of like gauge that we can use to think about that impact or whatnot and i want to start with you leland because you you play on these really beautiful thematic boards it's really awesome and then you know me coming at it from a more event ca- you know casual side but also the event side of things like it's. It, I think it's a really interesting discussion, and yeah. So, so how big of an impact should that terrain have on the outcome of a game of MCP? I think the terrain should kind of be considered a neutral third player uh, in every game. I think the terrain should never be an afterthought. It should never be something that is simply there because you need to have it. I think the terrain should always be there to provide some form of uh, tactical flexibility, whether it be you know a place where you can hide some some models out of line of sight, uh, a place that uh, that maybe you can get a little bit more beneficial cover to kind of create you know maybe a, a little castle for yourself. Or even just uh, even just terrain that you know people have to think about. Say you bring a big beefy guy with smash, uh, it makes them think about well, how close do they want to be to that to that particular piece of terrain? Um, so I think terrain should have an impact on the game. I don't think it should define the game, and I don't think somebody should say that they won or lost because of the terrain. But I think the terrain should always be a factor that is in the back of the mind of the players on the table. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Troop, How do you feel about it? Uh, I like to always look at the, the null hypo- hypothesis and like, what is a game like of MCP with no train on the board at all? And it looks wretched to me. It, it's one <laughs> of those like, okay, so I throw you and I hopefully throw you into somebody else. That's the way you're going to take damage from a collision. Um, Cyclops looks a lot better when he can just sit there and and shoot laser beams from uh, range five or whatever. But his laser beams are punches yeah. from another dimension. They are not laser yeah. beams. He punches with his eyes. That's right. He eye punches. I forgot. I forgot. But like I, I love backfield sniper guys. But I feel like in a world without terrain. Uh, they would be really good. Now, maybe Hawkeye needs that, but everybody else pretty much is pretty solid where they are. Now, if it wasn't for the cinematic elements, like, I, I'm i hoping they have a helicopter so I can have Wolverine jump into the helicopter and it explodes behind him. Or, uh, you know, just using various different elements so you can create a cinematic kind of thing. I think that, on the one side of things, the flavor win of having a character do something cool off of a building. I've definitely had um, Killmonger 
come off of an apartment building and absolutely dumpster a character. And I was just like, yeah, came down off that building and, and, and took him out. But uh, yeah, I love, I love how much it interacts. I love how important it is to have terrain be an interactive element. And while I, I, I don't necessarily think it's always going to be neutral because I think by having variation of terrain, you can kind of tweak the power level of different characters in the game. And that if, if everyone's planning for a certain range, it means that there's a, a, a much larger range of characters that are just better in that situation. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I, I think the terrain is a big part of this game. And I think AMG did it right with a lot of elements for it. And they could do a little tiny tweaks that would really make me happy. But otherwise, I think we're we're pretty solid. Yeah. We need a Thanos copter. I was just going to say, as soon as he said helicopter, <laughs> the Thanos copter for sure. And, you know, to kind of finish off this terrain discussion, I think that terrain should, like Leland said, be that like neutral third player in a way. And yes, some squads are going to be better equipped to handle the terrain interactions on this board. So, for instance, flying characters are going to not care about moving over it. Web Warriors characters not going to care mostly. And then you've got other things like Brotherhood. They're going to be better at throwing things. So I think that whenever you're thinking about like board setup and terrain and all of that stuff and whether or not it should have an impact, it should have an impact to where each player can interact with it in an engaging way. You know what I mean? And for that, it's like I said, with the Brotherhood being able to throw it, for Web Warriors being able to climb over it, or for it being able to block line of sight from those long-range eye punches. So, so you, you actually just touched on something that I had in the back of my mind and I completely forgot about until you said it. Um, but you, you brought up the, the point of flight and uh, wall crawler as well. And I think that's actually a very important consideration because you are technically paying for those superpowers with these characters as well. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have terrain that you actually get some benefit out of, like you don't, like if you don't have that ability to say, oh, well, hey, you got to move slow over this terrain because you got to climb up and over it, whereas I can just walk over it. That is, that is something that you are functionally paying for in the game. So having larger pieces of terrain that you actually get to make use of that and get some benefit out of that um, actually is an important aspect of it. It's, it's something definitely worth considering. Yeah, so there you go with that. And the, the last question I wanted to uh, bring up here is goes back to our Weapon X discussion real quick. Just as the last thing I want to talk about, it's uh, from Ben, ben Grimm Wen on our Discord server there. It says, what could Weapon X bring as an affiliation outside of character releases that would be new and exciting for the game? So when I think about Weapon X as the theme of what they are, I feel like they should be like, the murder squad, like the murder squad of mutants, if you will. And, and like maybe, maybe like some like covert operations, but that seems more like X-Force kind of stuff, but like definitely, definitely like the murder squad. So something along the lines of maybe not like Thanos where he gives a VP, but some kind of benefit that is for dazing characters again, but but not in the ways that we've already seen that. So like, I think there's still room to explore, not like what Malekith does, not like what the Black Order does, but in their own way, I think that there's something interesting 
that they could they could bring there. And uh, what do you think, Troop? Well, like I I want to imagine that one of the the cards that could be sitting in this this box set is going to be something like Doctor Cornelius, um, who I think. I could be wrong about that name, but that's the one that was stuck in my head when I first started thinking about this. Um, and he was the the evil observer uh, who wants to see how his experiments are working out, and that would, feels like a very Weapon X kind of thing. I don't know exactly what it would do, but it would have to be something like either doing something with the superpowers or doing something to help those characters um, pull off whatever it is his experiments are doing. So maybe something to do with having a larger size because of the adamantium skeleton or something like that. Yeah. Um, I could also see, uh, as you were kind of talking about, if it's not going to be something that gives them some sort of benefit for dazing a character, just helping them to daze characters. Uh, initially, I was thinking X-Force's thing, but it's not very good, and uh, it's already out there. But I, I totally see Weapon X as as an affiliation that's going to be uh, more like Black Order and less like Web Web Warriors. So yeah, yeah, definitely something like that would be pretty cool. Leland, what about you? So I'd actually like to see them expand on like the punishment tokens or Killmonger's kill count tokens, uh, and do something along the lines of whenever Weapon X, a Weapon X affiliated uh, character or something like that, dazes or KOs, you get a token, um, and then just you can use those tokens for whatever you need. Like you. Maybe maybe that token will give you additional rerolls. Maybe that token will give you additional attack dice or something like that. And yeah. just make it a one-off token. So it's not something that stands and you just keep using or something like that. Um, but just uh, make it a momentum-based thing where once they get the ball rolling, they get this extra little bit of steam to kind of keep going with it. Yeah. Yeah, that would be... That'd be, that'd be kind of neat. Like something to where they get extra dice that's kind of can snowball potentially and like really fit into like Logan's extra rerolls and whoever knows what Sabretooth does, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So what if weapon X gives out a special token? It's the motorcycle token and allows them to move long because they stole it from that guy back at the mansion. And now they can just <laughs> drive around wherever they want. <laughs> hey man, it'd be a good use of the motorcycle that comes with this set, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the, the token is the motorcycle. There you go. Exactly. There you go. I love it. I love it. And uh, with that, I think we're going to put a nice little bow on this episode. So, Suits, let us know what you thought of the the new violent Wolverine character. And let us know what you think about the terrain and how it should impact the game and whether or not AMG is doing a good job with it or any other discussion points that you want to have about terrain. Just uh, let us know or anything around MCP. Definitely just let us know. And you can send us messages, like I said earlier, at housepartyprotocolpod at gmail.com. Through Facebook is a great way to interact with me. I love whenever people send me messages over there and, and we get to chit-chatting chit and stuff about the game and whatnot. And then also you can send messages on Discord. Like I said before, I'm at HPP underscore Will on most of the uh, MCP Discords out there. Or you can, for as little as a dollar a month or 12 bucks a year, uh, support the show and uh, basically it's just paying for the hosting paying for the the giveaways we do that kind of stuff like if you want to know where your money is going it's just to to keep the hpp lights on so to speak and i can't say enough my uh my level of gratitude 
for all of the suits out there that choose to support this show in that way. It is uh, incredibly meaningful to me, and I am very, very, very grateful for all of that support and for all of the interactions we get over there on our Discord channel. And to, to find that stuff, it's patreon.com slash housepartyprotocol. Uh, Leland, where can people find you? Uh, so I am all over the interwebs. Uh, Aegis Brand Studios on uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you can definitely hit me up uh, throughout there. I am on a number of the the fan discords as well. And, uh, you know, just to, just to pair what you said, for the low, low cost of a dollar a month, you can join Will's Patreon and you can yell at me. And that is definitely <laughs> worth a dollar. It, it is worth a dollar sometimes. Uh, I, I can't say that. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, Troop, are you uh, present on the interwebs? Uh, well, I'm only I'm only internet famous via Aegis Brand Studios, but uh, I'm always lurking there. And if uh, if if people want to yell at me and tell me things I've done wrong, uh, they can fire messages uh, out into the interwebs and the the space that is the interwebs there. And uh, I will either respond to them or or get uh, Leland to uh, follow up with them. Nice, nice. Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much for being on with me today. Mm-hmm. It has been an absolute blast. And again, to the suits out there that uh, are listening to this, I hope you enjoyed it. This has been a Thick Boy Extra Deluxe episode, and I I hope that y'all have enjoyed it. And I really appreciate your time and and all of that stuff. So thank you so very much. And uh, with that, party on, Troop. Party on, Will. Party on, Leland. Party on, Will. And power down, suits. Suits.